few weeks out of the saddle, I forget to put my mic on. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to, to make your way there with us. Genesis chapter 9. Miss Karen, I, I don't see it popping up there, so it may not. It's okay if it doesn't. Um, if it does, just give me a thumbs up and I'll, I'll connect. This morning at the end of our service, we're going to be recognizing our Kenya team. Um, and so uh, we're thankful for those folks and the work that they're going to be doing as they leave out this week. And so uh, we're going to be bringing them forward and praying over them as a church. And so we're, we're excited, um, thankful, again, as we think about Oklahoma and then Tucky Changers coming, Danny, who's been in Owensboro, Josh, you guys this past week, uh, maybe some others in this room I've left out. But thankful uh, just for the heart of missions around this place of locally and globally and in between. And it's, it's, it's beautiful to be a part of that. It's encouraging and exciting. Um, but this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9 and we're wrestling there with the rainbow, uh, what it says about us, but more importantly, what it says about God. The rainbow, what it says about us, but more importantly, what it says about God. Have you ever been a place where you've been really surprised with the sin of someone else? Like you're like, man, I cannot believe they did that. In some way, today's text, that's going to have that moment with Noah. But we think about that, and David was there, right? He committed voyeurism. Ultimately, he comes, he commits adultery after that, has her husband killed. I mean, we're like, man, David, how could you do that? Some of you studied David this morning, right? And just God had seen his heart, and you're like, man, I'm just, it's hard to wrestle with that. Or, or maybe you've had moments where somebody's gone through a dramatic experience, and you're like, how did that not change them? I mean, today we're going to come out just out of the chapters of the flood and we're like, how did the flood not change these people when they've seen that? But think about Jonah, right? I mean, he doesn't want to go. Then talk about something dramatic, being swallowed literally by a fish, vomited up, going to preach to your enemies. They actually repent and you get angry with God. And you're like, Jonah, how could you go through that, bro, and not be changed? And today we ask that. But I think the truth is maybe we need to ask it of ourselves. Like all the things that we've been through, how could we not be changed? Or maybe you see some experiences that you've gone on in your life, and you're like, how in the world did I ever do that? Today's text calls us to wrestle with this, this idea, the reality that there's a new start, there's this new covenant represented by the rainbow, but the truth is for Noah and his family, there's still that same old sinful heart. We've got some wrestling to do today as we come to this text and reminds ourselves that God offers a covenant that is dependent upon grace, not good works. What good news that is for us today, that God offers a covenant not dependent upon our good works, but instead dependent upon grace. This morning, as we come here, if you will, turn your way to Genesis chapter 9, as we begin to walk through, again, the rainbow, what it says about us, but more importantly, what it says about God. The first point is this. If you desire a new start, God offers it. Oh, it's, it's working now, isn't it? Awesome. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow, you threw me off. Okay, it's good. That's all right. Um, it reminds us, right? If you desire a new start, God offers it. Genesis chapter 9. Pick up the wood beginning in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Now, I don't have it on the screen, but you hopefully you have your copy of God's Word with you so you can walk through it with me and see some of the things that's happening. But even as you hear it, it's a reminder back to Genesis chapter 1. 
Right? In Genesis chapter 1, we hear that Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was what they were called to do. In other words, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like where you've messed up, right? You just totally blew it or you were trying to learn something and you didn't get it right. And somebody just simply says something, hey, that didn't work, but let's try that again. In similar words, like this is God saying, guys, listen, the creation, what we were created to do, we've gotten really off track. But the call again is to return back to what we were created to do, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the image of God, to glorify God. That you and I, listen, you've got to understand that you are God's image bearer. Right? We are not, God has no idols. Why? Because He's created you and I. We are to image Him. We are to reflect Him. To show who He is, His nature, His heart, to be revealed through our lives. But again, while things are similar, things are also different. Notice what He says. Verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. This is different, right? I mean, Genesis opened up with Adam and animals coming to him and him naming them, right? And we have this unfolding. But now it says the fear and the dread of you, verse 2, shall be upon every beast of the earth. Now, this doesn't mean that an animal won't ever attack you or the dog will never chase you, right? But typically, I'm sure that your experience usually is with animals, they typically run. There's something that's happening here. There's now a tension at play that wasn't in the beginning, It's a reminder that this isn't necessarily a return back to the garden. This isn't a new utopia. They're getting a fresh start, but that doesn't mean that everything is the same. But I think it does point us forward to a longing that we have for a better one. That yes, after this judgment, there is a new start, but things aren't exactly as they need to be. But there's coming a greater judgment. The ultimate judgment of God when God will make all things right and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell and God, we will see him face to face, the scriptures say. It's the hope that we have of this new start that is revealed here in Genesis 9 that causes us to long for a greater new start. A place where they'll never sin again. A place where you'll never know the death of those that you love. That's the new start we long for. But notice, not only is it family that gets a new start, right? The call to be fruitful and to multiply. But we also see that food in some way gets a new start. Look what happens here, beginning in verse 3 and also 4. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Whoa, something's changing, right? Before, it was to eat of the fruit, right? The garden, the plants, the trees. But now he says, I give you everything. But listen to this caveat, right? This is important not only for this section, but the one to come. Verse 4 of Genesis 9. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. He's saying, listen, just as the plants were there, now the, now the animals are fair game. But he says, look what he says there again. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So is God talking about how we get our steaks? Is he like saying is the only way to get it well done? That's not what God's speaking of, right? And so again, if you're, you're worried about that, relax. What he's speaking about is, is that we're different than the animals, right? When the animals go out on a hunt, right? I don't know if you've seen different moments, but animals literally, they rip the other flesh open. They begin eating it right there. There's a separation between how we act and the animals act. There's a a hierarchy. There's a difference. But in some ways, it's also a reminder that God who provided before the flood is also the provider after the flood. That there's a God who's still good. And and some of you, again, you're in the midst of such stormy seas that you can't imagine there's actually good on the other side. But this is a reminder of God's provision, His kindness. 
So again, there's a, there's a, a new start for the family. There's a new start for food. But then there's also a new start with our fellow man. Look at verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I'll require reckoning. From every beast, I'll require and from man. From his fellow man, I'll require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God's really clear. If you kill another person or if an animal kills another person, then by their own blood, right? Whoever sheds the blood of man, verse 6, by man shall his blood be shed. Pastor Kevin Young calls this this proportionate justice. Saying that Christians, we can disagree, right, about how the death penalty ought to be administered. Or whether it can be safely administered. Or whether if it can even be justly administered. But clearly the Bible gives us a category for capital punishment. So as believers, we need to make sure that we're wrestling and not taking our cues from the culture, but from the Bible. And again, we may, we may come at different places where we land on those decisions, but at least we need to be hearing what does God have to say. And this is God saying, listen, humanity is so valuable. We might ask why. Why is humanity so valuable? Why should we speak up for the unborn child in the womb? Why do we speak up on behalf of the immigrant and the minority? Because of the answer of the end of verse 6. Listen to verse 6 in context. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for. Here's the reason why. God made man what? In his own image. That's why humanity is different than the trees, it's different than the animals. Right? This isn't necessarily like a political platform that we... No, this is God who's saying it's, it's humanity that is the most valuable. It's humanity that's made in God's own image. And it's humanity that now, again, is getting this new start. And God knows, listen, there's going to be more bloodshed. As you're going to see in this chapter, as it comes to an end, you're like, man, are you kidding me? But maybe you just need to think for a moment what new starts need to happen in your life. Maybe thinking about the family, just like the one started here. Maybe you and your spouse need to have a conversation about what it means to be fruitful and to multiply. And maybe that means a conversation about fostering and adoption. As singles or maybe as you're contemplating getting married, those are conversations you need to be having with the person you're going to marry. What does it look like for us to have children and to feel God's mandate here? Again, he reiterates in verse 7, And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now surely if anybody had a reason not to have more children, it would be these people who have seen the flood and like, we couldn't ever bring kids into this type of world. But clearly God's mandate still stands. Secondly, maybe your relationship with food needs a new start. Maybe you need to contemplate your diet or exercise. Are you being a good steward of your physical temple? What would a new start look like for you today? Thirdly, as you think about your fellow man here that's revealed in this text. Right? We celebrate as believers in this room the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We're excited about that. We rightly should be. But that doesn't mean that there aren't differing opinions in necessarily how those things unfold in this room. In a recent survey of post-aborted women, so women who have had an abortion, listen to these statistics. 70% claimed a Christian religion. 43% attended church at least monthly. That means, church, that not only, yes, we should be worried about our state and our community, but we also must be loving and ministering to the women right here in our own pews. We must be having those conversations. And that may mean that, hey, you're helping a single mother with rent or diapers. Some of you who are teens and your friends are, are wrestling with the morning after pill. Again, I, I realize the context here. 
You need to be having conversations, biblical ones, of having that conversation of saying there's a voice of God's created that child in your womb in his own image. They are image bearers of God. Again, as this new start unfolds here in Genesis chapter 9, we're wrestling with some big ideas, some real truths. But the good news is, again, if you desire a new start, the Bible says it's God who offers it. Secondly is this. If you desire mercy, God offers it. If you desire mercy, God offers it. Listen to Genesis chapter 9, 8 to 17. Let's, hear, let's read the whole thing, and then we're going to work our way through it just for a moment. Begin in verse 8 with me of Genesis 9. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. This extends to us. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now listen, this section is loaded with a lot, and it really covers a lot of the proportionate of what unfolds here in Genesis chapter 9. But I think four important questions maybe we might ask of this section here. First, maybe you wonder, like, what even is a covenant? Now, I can't show you on the screen, but if we walk through the text, seven different times the word covenant is used throughout these verses. Covenant, 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 right? It talks about a new covenant, a covenant, everlasting covenant. But a covenant is it's a commitment. It's a promise. It, in some ways, you might think about it as a contract, right? I mean, think about marriage. Marriage is a type of covenant. It's one man who promised to live together for better or for what? Worse, richer or poor, in sickness and in health, as long as they both shall live. But maybe you've ever made a big purchase, like you've bought a house or a car or some larger purchase. You've likely agreed that you're going to make good on that. And so maybe the bank's paid, but you've agreed with the bank that, hey, I'm going to return your payment if you will right, put forth the money here. Maybe you have lesser contracts or covenants or promises. Maybe it's with a streaming service or an online retailer. But the reminder is we live in a world constantly. We don't may not use the word covenant, so to speak, as it is here But the reminder is we continually have commitments and contracts and promises. But the covenant matters. Why? Because it brings assurance. Insurance in your life, maybe because you're paying your bill. You don't have to worry that today the bank's going to show up and take your house. Right? But also in a greater way here, we have the promise that God will not bring this worldwide judgment again upon the earth like he did before. Right? It's a reminder why most of us don't live in boats. Today, because we're reminded of God's faithfulness that He's promised that He'll never flood the earth again. But secondly, I think another question to ask is who's the covenant with? Look, if you would, uh, verse 9 and 10. He, he begins to speak it. I want you to kind of make some points here. He says, He's going to make this covenant with you and your offspring after you. Verse 10, He says, With every living creature, He makes the promise. Verse 12, For all future generations. Verse 13, between me and the earth, he says. And then verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, God says, I make this covenant with all 
flesh. Behold, that's a kind creator, right? That's a creator who brings the rain upon the righteous and the what? The unrighteous. Upon the evil and the good. He commits not only to protecting humanity, God commits to protecting the animals. This says to the oldest member of the church or the new believer who just walked in this morning, if you desire mercy, God offers it. It's the hope of the gospel. I think a third question is, is, well, what's the sign of this covenant? And this has stood out to me. And again, obviously, I think I'm influenced by the fact that Pride Month has just unfolded before us. And, and so I, I hear some of that echoing in my heart and mind. But look, look at verse 13 and 14. I have set, what's it say there? My bow. Man, I was just drawn to that. Like that statement, like this is my bow. This isn't someone else's. Like, I mean, like that. the... the the LBGTQ plus can come and try to grab it and proclaim it as theirs. But God says, this is my bow. This is my bow in the cloud. And it should be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Look at further verse 14. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. Notice what again. Now this, listen. Yes, this promise is for us. But notice what else happens in verse 15. Who else this promise, this covenant is for? Notice what it says. When the bow is seen in the clouds. Look at verse 15. I will remember my covenant. Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember. This is a reminder to God of his covenant faithfulness, of his kindness that's being unfolded. Now listen, I think it's important, again, as we think about this and wrestle with the rainbow and and all the things unfolding in our culture, I think it's important for us, even as believers, to slow down and not forget the fact that the reason the flood hasn't come isn't because we've somehow become better people. Like God isn't saying like, oh man, the world's going to get better from this point forward and, and there's going to be no need of that. Man, listen, the pages of Scripture, if you've spent any time with them, are full of sin after sin and rebellion after rebellion. And not just by people that don't know God, by God's own people. People like us. So the reminder is, as we see the rainbow in the cloud after the rain, it isn't a reminder that somehow we are less sinful. It can only mean one thing. That when God says his mercy triumphs over judgment, he means it. It is God showing mercy to all of us in that moment. As we see that rainbow, what a declaration for believers to come under that and say, this is the hope on those who are confused about what the rainbow means. Might we share with them the good news that there is a merciful God who is willing to overlook. He's willing to forgive sin. By how? Looking unto his son who died in our place. It's the justice of God, His holiness, His righteousness. So I encourage you, as you wrestle with ideas and Pride Month and all the things and light years unfolding before us and our culture and our kids, I mean, it's just bombarding us from every area. I want to remind all of us, when it comes to those things, make sure you get your information from the right source. That's the Word of God, beloved. We must look to God's word. Fourth and last question in this section I think we should ask is, what are the terms of the covenant? Well, verse 16 says, When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. This contract, in some ways, it's a one way. This is God's great promise that because of his mercy, he's never going to flood the earth again. This is in some way what might be referred to as common grace, right? There's no salvation implied in this covenant, 
right? There's special covenants throughout where it's God's people and, and it's, it's God's kindness unto them specifically. But this covenant is one way and it's with all flesh, all the earth, all creatures. But it's a reminder to us, listen, beloved, you aren't saved just because you see the rainbow. But it says to us that there is a God who is merciful and willing to pardon and forgive sin. Think all of this as we contemplate the rainbow and looking at God's covenant and kindness. It's a reminder that says to all of us that we are sinners. Right? The rainbow, in fact, proclaims the very thing that some think it doesn't. They think it proclaims freedom, but in fact, it proclaims that we are sinners. And there is a just, holy God who is withholding His justice and His wrath. As Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, praise be unto God for the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us from the wrath that is to come. But I think in some ways the rainbow does remind us as we contemplate our sin and who we are and this holy God of what the church should look like. You see, I think the church should look, as it's been said, less like a waiting room for a job interview and more like a waiting room for the doctor's office. Consider that for a moment. Again, this is not a new analogy to me. I heard it, read it recently, and it's just been wearing on me. As you consider, like if you showed up in an office, right, and you're sitting down, there's other applicants all going for the job interview. Most everyone's trying to hide their weakness. But when you walk into a doctor's office, you look around the room and realize everybody's there because they have a weakness. Now, we might be even trying to conceal in the doctor's office in some way. I get that. But as a church, right, we should remind ourselves As we look around at one another, right, even in our time of confession each week during the service, it's a reminder, this is not a place for a job interview. This is not a reminder, oh man, we've all got it together here. Look at us. No, we pause every week to confess sin, to say this is like a doctor's office. We are all sick and we need the heavenly physician to heal our hearts. Amen? And that rainbow is just that reminder of this merciful, gracious God who is not judging us like we deserve. So I encourage us as a church, let this be a place. Let your Sunday school class, maybe to dads like me today, be a reminder. Is our home more like a job interview or more like a doctor's office? So if you desire a new start, Genesis 9 says that God offers it. If you desire mercy, the rainbow and God's covenant faithfulness says that God offers it. Third and last, if you desire hope, God offers it. Now, before we get to that hope, we've got to wrestle with some really hard things. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 9. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That's important, right? That's not just like, why do you say that? Why not including the other kids? It's important. It's helping clue you in. Something's coming. So Ham was the father of Canaan. Further, verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. It says further, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Isn't it heartbreaking to hear those words, just being honest? I mean, Noah, in Genesis 6 through 8, has been the hero of the world. He's like the one shining light, like... 
And then as the, the story unfolds, he offers a sacrifice. And we're like, man, surely this is the guy. I mean, this is the guy who the, the testimony is that he, just like Enoch, walked with God. The testimony is of Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. The New Testament even calls him a preacher of righteousness. But one chapter later, the man gets off the ark and he's drunk and undone, as we might say, before God and everybody. There's only seven other people on the face of the earth. I think it might be a warning to all of us that often the enemy doesn't come to attack in the moment of great trial. Often he lies and wait until you think you have passed the test. He lies when we put our feet up on the table and the coffee or whatever is in our hand and he catches us off guard. He finds us willing to be tempted. And before we know it, we find ourselves drunk and naked in our tent. It reminds us that this may be a new start, indeed a new covenant, but the same old sin remains in Noah's heart just like it does in all of ours. Let this be a reminder to us. Noah wasn't saved because he was good enough. Noah was saved because God is gracious. And I don't know anything better to share with you. We were listening to the very psalm that we, we, we shared this morning, our time of confession as a family yesterday, and just talking about it. It's a song of ascent, a song that they would share as they go, that, hey, if the Lord counted sins, who could stand? Nobody could come into his presence. Nobody could make it to the temple. None of us would be worthy to come in the church today. But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. There is, there is compassion. There is mercy. And I'm just like, man, listen, uh, we need to hear this and remind ourselves, Noah wasn't good enough. David wasn't good enough. Jonah wasn't good enough. Esther wasn't good enough. Rahab wasn't good enough. There was only one that was good enough, and his name was Jesus. And he dies in our place that you and I could be saved, not because we were good enough, but because God is gracious and kind and willing that whosoever will may come. Wow. Man, again, it's... I do not have much hair, but I am telling you right now, it is standing for our Savior. Just like, man, we, we were there on vacation, and, and, and the choppers flew down the beach, and there were servicemen and women. And man, I just, I was clapping and waving, and some of my family was like, man, what are you doing? And they began to wave back. I was just like, I just want them to realize that I'm sitting on this beach because of men and women just like that. And this little man that's sitting here, they'll never meet or know, I just want to say thank you. So just like waving like this big goofball that I am. And there's waving back. Today I just want to wave at my Savior and say, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah for His mercy and grace. Thank God. Man, I've been out of the saddle a little bit and I've missed it. Man, praise God. But listen, it's not just that Noah's heart is sinful. If you heard in the text been passed on to his kiddos too look what it says verse 21 he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent and ham the father of canaan saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside now we don't necessarily know there's all kinds of conjecture about what exactly is implied in the fact that he saw his father's nakedness and we, we could study or talk about that more but i think the clear indication is is that he had an intention look at it, it says at the end of verse 22 and he told his two brothers outside there's this intent to shame his father to dishonor his father I, th- I think we must be warned as children here today of that danger of dishonoring your parents there's a warning here he goes and tells his brothers 
But notice what the action of Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, is. Again, verse 23 mentions it twice so that we do not miss it. It says they walked how back into the tent? Backward. Twice it's mentioned. So they don't see their father's nakedness. Right? It's a reminder to us that our response to other sins should be looking for ways to deal with it rightly, but deal with it mercifully. The hope is to restore them to repentance. I mean, isn't this in some way echoing back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? They were, what? Naked. And they tried to hide themselves and make these fig leaves. But what did God do? Do you remember? Yeah, he, he, brought, he killed an animal, right? There was a loincloth that was placed over them, right? The animal covering, the skin. It was a reminder that God came and saw their sin and covered it. And in some way, Shem and Japheth are modeling for us, this is what it looks like to image God. We know that even preachers of righteousness are going to sin. They are. I've been around here 15 years. I don't think I'm fooling anybody to say, man, I know that brother's a sinner. I've seen it. And if you're struggling today, you're new, just ask my bride and kids. I mean, they, they, they can have new material this week. It's just the reality of the fact that, listen, all of us here, but the call of the gospel is to image not Ham or the line of Canaan. It's to image Shem and Japheth, to be willing, right, to recognize that we are imaging God and we should look to encourage others, seek the Lord who is willing to cover your sin. Mercy and the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace what, church? Abounds all the more, increases all the more. But we do hear this response, verse 25, that is in some way shocking. Pick up me verse 24. So Noah wakes up from his drunken stupor, from his wine, and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Evidently, people have been telling him. He says this, verse 25, that is perplexing. Cursed be Canaan. Now Ham had done it, his son, but he curses his grandson. All right, let's read the rest of the text and let's come back to it. This is important. This is huge. Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. Verse 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be a servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. We might ask, why in the world is verse 25 say, Cursed be Canaan, when it should say, Cursed be Ham. And I think some of that is a reminder to us of who is reading this story and when they're reading it. Remember, Moses is the author of Genesis, and he's writing it when the people are in the wilderness, when they're journeying toward what land? The land, the promised land, the land of what? The land of Canaan. And what have they known all throughout their time of going about through the land of Canaan? They've known hostility and war. It's a reminder here, this, this text is revealing a tension that's going to continue to unfold throughout the remaining chapters of Genesis and really the entire Bible. That there's a war between the line of blessing and the line of cursing. It goes back to Genesis 3 and 15. Remember that? That the serpent's going to strike the heel, but the seed of this woman, ultimately Christ, is going to crush the head of the serpent. There's this tension unfolding. But you might think, well, what's happening? How's this unfold throughout the Bible? Well, guess who comes from the line of Canaan? The Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Right? There's this unfolding of these Israel's adversaries through the line of Canaan, which would begin to make sense to them say, oh man, I see so much of what's happening. But I think there's also a danger that is happening from this very text. 
Verse 25 says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. Some have used this because Ham's descendants, it is believed, traveled therefore to North Africa. And there are those who look at this very scripture and have become about a, a deviant and sinful view on this scripture. A lie from the very pit of hell. They have used this very scripture. Cursed be Cain and a servant of servants shall he be. And again, the descendants of Ham believe to, to have, have migrated there to North Africa and down. They've used this very passage to justify the enslaving of Africans. And I want you to know that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no justification for that in the scripture. And maybe you ask, well, Blake, I thought you said there was going to be hope in this passage. Well, there is. No, this hope is, it's, 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 it's not necessarily here in this text, but it, but it comes. I, I want to be clear that the Old Testament doesn't represent that every person from the line of Cain is cursed. Why? Well, we think about people like Rahab. It was Rahab who was a Canaanite, right? There in the city of Jericho. Who, who lodged the two spies and we might wonder, well, how did Rahab find hope? She found hope the same way Noah found hope, the same way that you and I will find hope. What is that hope? Hebrews 11 says that by what, church? Faith, Rahab. It's by faith. It is faith. Maybe you're here, and listen, I don't know everyone's background, but there may be people here who think that you're cursed. Or maybe somebody told you you're cursed because something your dad or your mom or your grandparents or somebody did and you've been living that, sh- that, that over you. I want you to hear the truth of the gospel this morning. The word of God says that the son of God came and lived a sinless life and he died on that tree. And this is what's perplexing because the scriptures say cursed is anyone who was hung on a tree. I want you to hear this today. Maybe you're wrestling with curses. I don't know. Again, there, there may be complexities in the backgrounds of people here today. I want you to hear this truth. The good news is there is a curse breaker and his name is Christ. And he dies in the place of ruined sinners. He is the true and better Adam. Hallelujah. And he comes and dies in the place of the hellbound man as we've been singing there. Is a reminder of the hope of the gospel. But that hope is fuller. Look what it says. Verse uh, 27. Yeah. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be a servant. Now it's interesting why. Because Shem, from the people of Shem, ultimately come the Jewish people, the Israelites. But from the people of Japheth, this other son of Noah, come the Gentiles. And notice what happens. How do the Gentiles, how do they experience this rest? Notice what it says, verse 27 again. Look at it if you have your copy of God's word. Genesis 9, 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell where? In the tents of Shem. It is in the tents of Shem that they find rest. Now we understand and realize that in a greater way. Guess what? It comes to us through who? The Jewish Israelite, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. That it's that in His tent, the heavenly tent, the new Jerusalem, the new city, that you and I may come and find rest. It's the hope for every Gentile here today. Everyone here today who is sinful and undone. The Bible compels that there is hope in this gospel. To the unbeliever this morning, today's text is a reminder that even the best of men are sinners. Today, are you willing to acknowledge, just like Noah, that you've messed up? And maybe you wonder, is there any hope for somebody like me? There's some of you in this crowd today. You wonder, is there actually a new start for somebody like me? And the Bible says emphatically, yes.
The God who placed the rainbow in the sky is a God who says that indeed my mercy triumphs over my judgment. And the good news is for the best of us and the worst of us in this room, there is hope of redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And it is available to us in the very Son of God. Again, if you've wondered, does God love me? Do not look into the mirror. Do not check your Twitter or Facebook feed. Check the Scriptures, beloved, and hear the truth. The Romans 5 and 8 ring over your life. But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ did what, church? He died for us. That's our anthem. That's our hallelujah. To the unbeliever today, come and find rest in the tents of Shem, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. To the church, this text compels us, as we shared earlier, to believe that God doesn't save us because we are good. No, this text reminds us that God saves us despite the fact that we are actually really bad. We need to believe that. Like, you're you're not, like, more capable or worthy of singing this week because you had a good week. Beloved, we are worthy because of the righteousness of Christ. We must believe that. To our hearts today, might it remind us, we need to cherish the rainbow. Cherish that there is a God again who is merciful and gracious in His holiness. And He sent forth a greater one, a greater promise that all who look to Him will be saved. Remember God, He sees the rainbow and He remembers His covenant. Guess what, beloved? There's also one He sees and remembers. It's the Son of God who's seated at His right hand. And He sees and knows that all who look to Him in faith are forgiven and justified in His presence today and forever. Third and last, church, remember this. Noah did finally wake up from his drunken foolishness. I don't know what sin is entangling you. Maybe it is drunkenness or drugs. Or maybe it's something else It's a lot harder for others to see. I want to remind us all that there is new starts and new hopes. And it's God who offers it. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Will you repent and look unto Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the word of God that I have had the opportunity to preach this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that the people today could leave saying, we have heard the word of God, and because of God and his Christ, our cups runneth over. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.